Welcome to the Ignatius Press Podcast. I'm Mark Brumley. I hope you enjoy the discussion in this episode. For more information about Ignatius Press, check out our website at ignatius.com. Welcome, everybody, to this Ignatius Press Live interview. Uh, today, we're interviewing uh, Tyler Rowley, who's the author of Because of Our Fathers, 23 Catholics Tell How Their Fathers Led Them to Christ. He's the editor of this volume and also wrote an introduction, a really excellent introduction. I'm Thomas Jacoby. I'm an editor at Ignatius Press in San Francisco, had our offices here. That's why I have this nice bookshelf in the background. Um, to give, give you guys a short introduction to, to Tyler himself. So Tyler, he's the editor of this book, Because of Our Fathers, but he's also himself a father. And he's the president of Servants of Life for Christ, which defends unborn children through politics, media, and pro-life activism. And he's also a leader in young adult ministry for the Diocese of Providence, Rhode Island. Tyler graduated from Brown University, where he studied political science and played football. And he lives in Rhode Island with his wife and three children. Is that right, Tyler? Yes, Thomas, exactly. Excellent. So, Tyler, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real privilege. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks so for right publishing up... my book, too. Oh, man. That was, that was the best <laughs> part of all this. So, um, First things first, you were struck with the idea for this book while driving one day, listening to the radio. Is that right? All my great ideas come when I'm driving. Yes. <laughs> so what happened there? So, uh, yeah, I was listening to Catholic radio like I, I usually do. And one of the contributors for the book is Father Gerald Murray. And he's a he's an, uh, an amazing priest out of the Archdiocese of New York City. And he was just talking. <clears throat> he was just talking about his father because he. He had just buried his father the week before. So he told this, this particular story of when he's seven years old, which is, which is uh, recounted in the book as well. And it pretty much goes like this. You know, seven-year-old Father Murray is watching his dad go to work like he did every day. And something makes him realize that his dad is going to mass before work and that he's doing this every single day. And he had no idea. And he's sort of shocked as a seven-year-old who, you know, thinks you only have to go to church on Sunday. And that's what he says. He says, Dad, why do you go to church every single day? We only have to go on Sundays. And his dad said something to the effect of, I love to be with Jesus in the Eucharist every day. And it's like this bomb goes off on the seven-year-old kid's head that his dad loves to go to church. And there's something about the Eucharist that you know, gets him up early in the morning and drives him to church every single day. And he lives this like, you know, humble life before God, um, you know, the best and the biggest and the strongest guy in his life. And he's just, he's just astonished by this as a little kid. And he'll tell you that this is the impetus to him uh, eventually giving his life to Christ in the form of a vocation of the priesthood. And he was telling that story. And, uh, and my mind immediately, I, went back a couple of years. Um, I, my, formerly, my, my priest at the time had sent me uh, an email which contained a study about the generational transmission of faith. And, this is, and, and we talk about that, uh, that study in the book, but it's basically about how fathers and mothers pass on the faith to their children. And it shows this really, really strong correlation between the father's faith and, the, and sons and daughters. And so I kind of have those two things bouncing around my head. And then I start to think of, um, you know, there's got to be so many more stories out there like this, like, like Father Murray's, if this is true. Um, so that's kind of how I got the idea. And I started calling around and asking people if they, you know, had a similar story. And, you know, lo and behold, you know, what, what was kind of interesting is that many of them, if not all of them, um, 
had some sort of relevant story about that, saying that yes, their you know they their father uh, was the best person in their life, and their father is the reason that they're Catholic, and because of that, they were so grateful, and were more than willing to contribute you know an essay about about their father's life, and that's what the book is. It's twenty three essays, uh, different men and women across the country who write about the things that their fathers said and did um, to keep them Catholic, who their fathers were. Well, and the contributors, they really kind of run the gamut. You know, they, they're writers from across the board. You got professors, bishops, and you got full-time moms. You know, so how did you, how did you come up with the selection of these, these 23 essayists? Uh, so the first thing I did was I called Father Murray. I got, I went online and I got his email address because I know that was at least one person who had um, a story like this. And he was, you know, got back to me right away and said, hey, if you put a book together like that, I'd be happy to contribute. So then I, I kind of started, I think Patrick Madrid might have been my next call because I listen to Patrick Madrid a lot. And I know he has a relevant story about his father. And, you know, same type of answer that, you know, yeah, my, my dad is the reason I'm Catholic today um, and, and was sort of this quiet apologist in a way. And that's why, you know, Patrick Madrid is such a great apologist. And uh, kind of just a few people who I knew knew had those stories. And then I just started to think of, you know, kind of started to expand, uh, you know, my my reach by thinking of, you know, s- different popular Catholics that people would be interested in. You know, Jesse Romero and Bishop Strickland and Father Paul Scalia. I didn't know, you know, I don't know them personally, um, with the exception of Father Scalia. I didn't know and I didn't know anything about these people's fathers. And that was, it, that, again, that was, was interesting is as I'm making these calls, I'm saying to myself, if, if the thesis of this book is true, if it has sort of any, any legs to it, then the response I'm going to get from these men and women who I know as committed Catholics is going to be that their father was instrumental <laughs> in their faith life. And, uh, and like I said, lo and behold, almost every single one had that relevant story. And again, because they were so grateful uh, about uh, to their fathers, they were willing to contribute these essays. So, so, so half of the book is, is sort of popular Catholics. And I knew, you know, no one was going to buy a book because of uh, my name. So, so I needed to get some people on there that people were interested in, you know, Abby Johnson. Oh, I want to know about her dad, Father Paul Scalia, Tony Esselin, Bishop Strickland. And then really what I found to be the most interesting and fun part of the of the project was finding the other half, which were sort of people you wouldn't know about. And really just and that was really done through networking, asking people, kind of, you know, doing some Internet searching, trying to find some some really powerful stories. And and um, and I think that's I think we did a good job of, uh, of finding, you know, half really good stories of people you would know and half totally random people from across the country, but with equally imp- uh, compelling and impressive stories of their dads. Yeah, I agree. And I actually, I want to get back at that particular point later because the, the dads themselves, they're so diverse. You know, they, they have so many different approaches to fatherhood, but all, what, one thing they have in common is that they all had a, a decisive impact on their children. Right. You know? But I, quickly, I want to pose uh, a question about stories in general. You know, so this is a book of stories. They're, they're all true stories. But why didn't you just choose to, you know, write a book uh, about, you know, giving a theory of fatherhood? Why, why stories? Why, why, what do stories do for us that, you know, theories don't? Well, because then I would have had to write the whole book and I couldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I've always been, 
drawn and moved by, by stories. And I think, you know, whether it's a good movie or a good book. Um, and, and, you know, you think about the life of Christ, right? The teaching, you know, much of his teaching in the scriptures is done through stories. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you wonder if these are real accounts that, you know, that, that Christ is, is, is pointing us to. Um, but I think there is something um, just sort of intrinsically powerful about a, a real life event. You know, it's always, you know, when you're going, you're scrolling through movies and you see a movie that, you know, sounds interesting. And then at the end, it says, you know, based on a true story. And you're like, oh, that makes it even more compelling because I'm not just going to, um, I'm not just going to watch someone or read about someone's imagination, but an actual thing that happened, which makes it, um, I don't know what the psychology is there, maybe more relatable, um, more interesting because that, you know, it's possible in your life, right? So I think that's a, a part that's compelling. When you're reading these stories, you're not reading about some fictitious father out there that you maybe could never be like because it's really someone's imagination. You're reading about 23 actual men who lived in, pretty much in, in all in contemporary modern times and in, in the country that you live in. And, you know, they weren't these, you know, you know, they're not these canonized saints that are so holy and unapproachable. They're very approachable men. And I think that's what, that, that, that's the feedback that I've heard a lot is that, that this was practical. This was, a, these men are approachable. And I walked away being a better father because I can do those things. I can, you know, that story of, of Patrick Madrid's father, that gave me an idea of what I can do with my family and stuff like that. So I think that's, part of what makes a, a good story so powerful. Yeah, that's great. I want to switch gears a little bit and ask you about, which I think we should just talk about fatherhood because that's really what's at stake here. And so I'm a, I'm a millennial. I was born in 1989 and uh, we've been called a fatherless generation by many. What do you think that means? Well, I think at its core, I think it means that a large segment of our population is growing out growing up as children without fathers living in the home um actually catholic exchange just just published a, an article that uh today that I, that I wrote and it kind of takes a little bit about what i wrote in the book and it kind of combines it with what's going on you know out in the country right now and the main point of the article is that fatherlessness is a national crisis the, the 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 rising rate of little boys and little girls growing up without a a father who lives who's married to to their mother who lives in their home is is staggeringly high and is getting higher and it's among certain populations it's it's skyrocketing and out in the streets you know that's what we're seeing we're seeing a a festering you know questions that fester in children's mind being uh, unleashed in sort of this um, hostile way of like, you know, who am I? Who am I, who, who made me? Who loves me? Who am I supposed to become? Um, and in the article, I say, you know, these, these kids, you know, these, these teenagers and these young adults who are setting fires and attacking police. And these are, this is what's going on in their hearts, right? You know, our John Paul II and Pope Benedict, they talk beautifully about all of these, all of these people, they they really have, they're really longing for Christ, and they're and they're longing for their Father, which you know, our our Father, the the Father of us all, who created us, 
And that's the job of Catholics is to make these, these children Catholic. You know, these, these should be, these are passionate human beings that are fighting, you know, for justice, albeit in a, in a very perverted way, but it's, you know, based on what they, what they know in life, right? Which growing up in a fatherless home, they don't know how to direct that, that emotion. So it's, it's our job to reach them and to bring them into the Catholic Church and teach them about true racial justice, true equality, you know, how, how Christ transcends all of this. And, and, and w- once they experience the love of Christ and, and a father, you know, that wound in them can start to heal. Um, but I think that's, you know, a fatherless country. I think that's, uh, I think part of it is just the literal lack of a father in the home. You know, and, and you know, Abby Johnson talked about this and she got, you know, she got you know, completely uh, misunderstood in what she was saying recently. But she, she talked about how what, what people are doing now who don't like this fatherless narrative, they're saying, oh, no, these children have they have fathers. They, maybe they don't just because they don't live in the home and they're not married to the mom. Um, that doesn't matter. They still have fathers who see them on the weekends. And Abby's point was, this is crazy. I mean, how how low are we going to put the bar for, for fathers? This is this is not the place that we want to go where we say, like, obviously, every child has a biological father. But we're talking about, you know, dads who live in the home and are married to the mom. You know, and we talk about in the beginning of the book, I talk about how that relationship, you know, is is so beautifully shown through the Holy Family that the first thing God does is finds the earthly father for Christ. You know, the first thing he's concerned about is to, because he's modeling that relationship, you know, that icon of the love between God and his church is, is represented in the Holy family. And that's, that's, that's the will of God for every family, for, for one man and one woman who love each other for forever and to raise the kids that they created forever. So there's a lot of what goes into that. I think about how we disparage fatherhood, how we make, make men feel yeah. Uh, sort of ashamed for being a good guy, a good family guy. You don't hear that term much anymore. You know, a good family man. That's kind of a, that's kind of like has a has a negative connotation. Sort of a corny guy who does, you know, who sticks to the book. You know, um, that used to be sort of that used to be the ideal that we raised up in 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 this country and in this world. The good family man is a man who sacrifices himself constantly for his family. And we got a, We got a question from a viewer here, Sivan. In, in, in putting together this book, did you find anybody who embraced Catholicism precisely because his father didn't? Um, that's a good question. So there was one, one of the essays in the book is um, Chloe Langer. And Chloe, her father was adopted. So obviously never knew his biological father and didn't have a very good uh, upbringing by his adoptive parents, was sort of dismissed as a as an adoptive child. And had a had a big father wound in both in both of those regards, but Chloe was, you know, so so much in love with her father because he made a decision that he was not going to let that father wound fester into the next generation, and he knew that there was so much hurt there that he, you know, you can kind of do two things with that. You can just kind of unleash that pain onto your children, or you can crucify it. In a sense, right? Just stop it, stop the pain, and take it upon yourself to reverse the hatred and reverse the pain. And he become, you know, he comes into the church, and his biggest dream is to have children and to be a good father. And uh, this would be a beautiful part of Chloe's 
uh, essay is um, when she tells that when she was in the womb, she's the, she's the oldest of a eight, nine or 10 children. I can't remember, um, but she's the oldest. And when she was in the womb, her father wrote her a letter that she was to read when she was 18 years old. And Chloe, I think only wrote her essay when she was about 20. This was only a couple of years after she would have actually read that letter. So a lot of it is kind of reflecting on her father through that letter. And, uh, and like I said, she goes into that history of, um, of her father and how he stopped that wound. And then the other, the other person that comes to mind, um, uh, just had, oh, is, of uh, is father Hezekiah. So father Hezekiah and, and father Hezekiah's brother are both phenomenal Catholic priests today, but they weren't even baptized as children. Their father was a doctor, very successful, wealthy doctor who got totally lost in in consumerism and, and, you know, the secular worldly affairs of being, you know, a successful doctor. Mm. Kids weren't, his three children weren't even baptized, but then he get then he gets divorced because, you know, that's what happens when, when you don't anchor your, your marriage and faith. And then the, the mother dies after the divorce. And then his, the father sort of has this awakening of what is he doing with his life? You know, he, you know, divorce children aren't baptized you know, addicted to alcohol, you know, consumed with money, and then has this, you know, big conversion uh, back to the faith. And then two of his sons become priests. And, you know, sort of the point of the book is that there's no way two priests come out of that family without the father having um, sort of the courage to, to change his life around. Beautiful. Yeah. Now, you as a father, you, you yourself are a father and a husband, and you're also a son. <laughs> and <laughs> Have any of these stories in particular, if you, I'm sure you have many examples, could you just give one or two examples of stories that, that particularly stuck with you and helped you to grow as a father or even as a son? Mm. I, all of them in a way, like I said, one of my good friends, he, he, you know, he texted me after he was done with the book and he said, I can already think of ways to be, to be a better father. And that's, that was very, I, I totally related to what he was saying because when you read each one, um, again, there's practical things you take away, and then there's just the, just that inspiration that you feel after you read each one of these essays. Um, so there's, you know, there's definitely ways that, you know, you know, w one example um, I would say is that it, it's quite profound how Mary is a theme throughout almost every single essay. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing how much she is mentioned by these children who are reflecting on their fathers, uh, whether it was the family who prayed the rosary or the father who prayed the rosary or some Marian devotion that sort of made the faith all sort of click for them. Um, so just, you know, my wife and I have talked about this, you know, we really have to start, our children are getting to the age, we really have to start, you know, praying that daily rosary together, whether, you know, practical things, whether it's a decade, um, and I think, you know, we, we live in a, a world where we don't really understand. A lot of people don't understand how that's going to have any sort of <laughs> practical benefit, you know. But uh, if you read these essays, you'll see that something is something as simple as praying, you know, a decade of the rosary every day or just praying before your meals. is such an enormous, like, just it changes the, the whole mind of the child on what on what the faith is all about. Um, so, I mean... One of the other practical things is just that these, almost all of these fathers, the, the children mentioned how much they loved their wives, you know? So I, 
that, you know, I take that very seriously. And I, you know, I have to walk away saying, you know, am I showing my children, you know, how much I love their mother every single day? Um, that sort of first theological lesson that every child gets about, you know, the, you know, we can talk all, all day about, you know, the theological explanation of the Trinity and, you know, how God is that icon, you know, the, the family is the icon relationship between God and his church, but making sure that, you know, you're sacrificing yourself in every way you can for your wife is, is the lived out experience that the children are going to see. And they're going to naturally understand that theological lesson just through the way that you live. And that was definitely a theme. I mean, I think almost every single one of these contributors talked about how much the father uh, loved their wife, loved, loved the, the child's mother. Um, so th- th- those are just some things. That's fantastic. I... Well, you know, I was actually going to ask you if you could uh, if you could give some examples of how to start living the the faith more intentionally, but you you just gave some really really excellent examples. And um, I want to ask you, I guess, about Christian fatherhood. Uh, you gave the example, you know, you talked about Mary, you talked about prayer in the family. So what what is it that distinguishes, you know, natural fatherhood from distinctively Christian fatherhood? What makes the Christian father special, if anything? <clears throat> yeah. So in the, I think I make the point in the book that, and uh, hopefully the the way that I'm going to answer it will we'll get to the heart of that question. Um, you know, sociologists talk about this, you know, biological paternity versus fatherhood. Um, you know, anyone, you know, someone can create a child, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're, they, they're there for the person. And in the book, I, and sociology has pretty much, you know, in my opinion, has, has exhausted that question that children are going to suffer so much if they if their fathers are not present for them. The father wound, I mean, everything from abortion to domestic violence to prison time, everything skyrockets when the father is not in the home uh, with the children, loving the mother. Um, and and in the book, I sort of make the point that, you know, if you're not convinced of that yet, I mean, I, I don't even think it's my job here to convince you of that. It's so it's so concrete in sociology that the father needs to be in the home with the children. But then, so then I kind of shift and I say, well, Having kind of concluded that 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 point, it, it's only it's only a logical conclusion that if the father is absent in the spiritual sense, that the children are going to sort of spiritually die and spiritually be malnourished, and you know that's really the the, the thrust of the book that if. If, if a father, if a father is important, he's just not, he's not just important to keep children in school. He's important because he naturally, he's a leader and he's a protector and the children will, fo- will follow his example. And what I sort of ask fathers in the book is that I kind of, I, I say to them, you're the way that you're living your life, the way, you know, w- with no intention, intentionality of, of living the Catholic life, your grandchildren are not going to be baptized. Right. And let me back up a second. In 2015, there's a study, and I mentioned this study in the book. In 2015, there's a study about the changing demographics of religion. 27% of Catholics have left the faith completely. 13% um, still identify as Catholic, but largely don't practice. So, And I say in the book, I'm talking to that 13% of people. So you, you want to identify as Catholic. You know, you had your children baptized. You know there's something there. You know that there's some truth there that you don't want to fully let go of. Well, here are the statistics. If you keep living in the way that you are, 
your, your adult children are going to completely lose the faith and your grandchildren will not be baptized. And you have to have a conversation with yourself. You have to talk to your ancestors, you know, hundreds of years of fathers who have passed down this faith to you and talk to them. And what if they asked you the question, why did you let the faith fade away from this family? And what did you replace it with? What did you replace your Catholic identity with? And do you even understand what the Catholic faith teaches? You know, how much of a shame would that be if, you know, thousands of years of fathers passed down this faith and then it gets to you and you let it fade from your family and you really don't even know what it teaches. So, you know, you can't, that, that's really my, my main point to, to fathers out there that those 13, that thir- the men who make up that 13%, find out what this is. Don't let it just go. Find out what it is because you will be the one responsible for your children losing the faith. And this isn't just important because it's a tradition. Okay, fathers pass on traditions, but this is more than a tradition. This is your child's relationship with God, your relationship with his son that has eternal consequences. Um, so hopefully that, that kind of answered what, what it means to be a Christian father. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you say in the book, you say that the father essentially has a, there are few people who are more responsible for the, the eternal salvation of a, of a person than the, than that person's right. father, you know, and uh, what, what a, what a, what a profound weight on the father's shoulders. And, and it's, it's, it seems like so many fathers are, they're willing, they've been willing to let it, let it fall away, you know, to kind of not take it seriously. And I think this book is kind of a call, sort of, it's a wake up call in that regard, you know, this is very serious. Right. Uh, you mentioned earlier that the fathers in this book, I mean, they're very different. Some of them are downright heroic. You know, I think of uh, the, the Vanderwood family, you know, their father mm-hmm. who, uh, who leapt in and drowned in a, uh, in a, in a septic tank, trying, saving his son's life, you know, right. knowing that, uh, knowing that he would die. Right. Um, there, there, there are actually, there are quite a few other examples of similar heroism. There are also many fathers who were just sort of quiet and ordinary, you know, just a very quiet, steady witness to the faith. And then some of them are, are, you know, are deeply flawed, you know, probably all of them are in some way deeply flawed, but we, we don't necessarily see it. Do you think the fact that, that these stories are so diverse, that there are so many kind of ordinary men who nevertheless had a decisive impact on, on their, their child's faith, whether they realize it or not. Do you think that fathers can, can, can take courage, can be encouraged by that? Do you think that that's a real, that's one of the real benefits of this book? Yeah, because it's not, you're not going to read about the same man over and over again. That's, that's definitely, I mean, everything from occupation in life to size of their family to, um, if they, you know, there's converts to the faith, there's people, you know, people who were, who were raised Catholic, people who were raised Catholic and fell away. Um, so certainly you're not going, and you're not also not going to be bored uh, by reading about the same person. Each chapter presents uh, a totally new man, a new, a, a, di- a totally different child who's reflecting in a different way upon, upon that different father. Um, I think that's definitely true. And, and, and then you have, you know, some, some of these men have become priests, some of them have become lay, some of them are women, some of them are men. Um, so yeah, I think that the, the diversity in the people that are included is both going to keep you interested. And again, it's going to make uh, many of the stories approachable uh, to you. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Even though I'm not a father myself, I think uh, I can agree. Actually, I, I wanted to, to pose a question on that point. So I'm not a father myself. Uh, 
but I am a son. And I think this book in many ways helped me to really deepen my appreciation for my own father, my, my, my grandfather as well, you know, men who, when I was younger, you know, I pr profoundly disrespected for, for no reason. Uh, and I, I think that that's actually, that's, that's part of the, uh, the fatherhood crisis in, in our, in our day is, is it's, a, it's a lack of appreciation for our own fathers. It's kind of millennial blaming our dads for all our, all our problems. When in fact, they, they probably helped us from becoming worse than we are. Um, right. I think so, Bishop Strickland talks, and Bishop Strickland talks well to that. If you remember his essay, he, he, you know, he doesn't romanticize his relationship with his father at all. He, you know, you can, you can sense there was this tension between him and his father well into his young adulthood. Um, and, and a total lack of appreciation for the sacrifices that, that his father made. Uh, but, but, you know, eventually, you know, the man reflects back and, you know, thinks of his, his, I think he mentions his father's, you know, his dirty farming hands and, all of the time he spent away from the family was not, you know, some sort of uh, neglect of the family, but was the, was the exact opposite. Yeah. And I just think as children, you know, a lot of times we just don't have the ability to, to grasp what, what, you know, our father is truly doing. Um, but there's a lot, you know, a lot of the fathers in here, you know, besides the Marian theme and, and, and loving their, their wife, I would say the, the other biggest theme that runs through them is a, is the sacrificial nature of the father sacrificing his time, sacrificing his money in multiple occasions you'll hear of fathers who sacrifice you know a much bigger and more lucrative career that they could have had um, for their children whether it was a doctor or a lawyer or some other profession um, and that doesn't go unnoticed by the child it might go un unappreciated for a very long time um, but isn't that what sacrifice is all about right you know you don't understand the cross when it's happening um, but reflecting back on the cross all of that pain that the person endured, you realize was because they love you. Um, and I think that was a huge theme throughout these stories. And you know, it's not like we were trying to get certain themes, you know, this was just right about your father, but the, the sacrificing that the father did was enormous. And Tyler, you as a father, what do you hope your own children write about you someday or about, about your faith example? <laughs> well, I, um, I guess I would say, well, here's an interesting point to that question. I think no matter what, no matter who you are, your children are going to write a story about you, right? Even if it's not published in a book, even if it's never, you know, written down on paper, even if it's never, you know, included in your eulogy, you know, your every child is going to write a story about their father in the sense that, you know, the, the, the memory and the recollection of who their father was and what they did for them and what they gave them is going to live on in the child's mind and, th and through the child's life. So everyone will have that story, you know, written about them. And I think that's one thing that I, I, I think men will walk away from this thinking, you know, okay, what are my children going to say about me when I'm gone? And I think the answer for me, I would say, um, when you asked that question, I thought of uh, Father Father Ricardo. He he has an essay in here about his his father, uh, John Ricardo Sr. And he talks about when his father at his father's funeral, uh, his father's in the casket up up at the front of the church, and all of the siblings hear uh, their mother uh, bend her head down to the casket and say, "I know Christ because of you." And that's, you know, probably. Be, you know, as simple as it gets, what I hope my children say about me, I know God because of you. I know, I know Jesus Christ because of you. 
And, you know, hopefully I'd be worthy to, you know, be in a book like this someday where, where, you know, they felt so grateful that they, that they wanted to, wanted to, you know, write about my life because, you know, whether, whether they put it down on paper or not, they, I will have, I will either shown them the love of Christ or I, or I will not have. Um, and it's the most important thing you can do that. That's why, that's why the book was, uh, was compiled that fathers have a predominant a primary, a special obligation, uh, to pass down, uh, the faith the bi- it's a biological and a spiritual truth that fathers are leaders and there's no one more responsible for doing that. Um, so if my children say, you know, I know Christ because of you, that'll be, I think as good as it gets for, for any, for any father. That's wonderful, Tyler. We're going to wrap up here in just uh, just one minute. But uh, before we go, I want to ask if, uh, are you working on anything now? Any new projects? I am, in fact. <laughs> um, so one of the contributors to this book is Abby Johnson. Uh, I think most people are going to know Abby as the, as the pro-life advocate, um, former Planned Parenthood director. So Abby was a contributor uh, to this book. And actually, her, her father is the only one who's not, not Catholic. She had a she had a Protestant father. And um, but she, she's the only one who had sort of that sort of upbringing, but she has a beautiful essay about her father and how her father actually eventually, you know, even indirectly led her to the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, so Abby is one of the contributors. I got to know her uh, pretty well during this. So I had another idea of 20 powerful pro-life stories um, from around the world, really, um, that show the dignity of every human life. And, we, and I asked Abby to co-author it with me. So we've, we've been working on that. Ignatius Press is going to publish that book as well. So we're, we're, if anyone out there, you know, heard, is listening to this and sort of has a, a powerful pro-life story, you know, you can get in touch with me and maybe we'll include it in the book. But the real point of the book is to really go after, you know, these hard cases um, in which people say, you know, even if people say, you know, I'm pro-life, but in these types of cases, certainly abortion is necessary. We kind of go after that and we say, no, never. Um, Every single worth has every single life has worth and dignity. Abortion is never okay. It's always the killing of an innocent human being. And these powerful, powerful stories where everyone from you know the parents to the doctor were telling the mother that they had to abort because this particular life, of course, could not be worth living. Um, and we go right after those those cases, and you'll you'll see some amazing, amazing stories. Awesome, man. We really look forward to putting it out at Ignatius Press, I'll tell you that. And so we're going to conclude here. We've just been, we've had a great conversation with Tyler Rowley, editor and author of Because of Our Fathers, 23 Catholics, Tell How Their Fathers Led Them to Christ. Um, you can find out more about Tyler at his website, catholicfatherbook.com, no spaces or hyphens. Uh, Tyler, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Thomas. Really appreciate it. God bless you. This podcast has been brought to you by Ignatius Press. We encourage you to check out our books and videos at your local Catholic bookstore or wherever else books and videos are sold. You can also sign up to receive special discounts on books and videos at ignatius.com. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please like the podcast on the website or app from which you listen to it. And please tell your friends about it. I'm Mark Brumley, and on behalf of everyone at Ignatius Press, thanks for listening.